0: There really are a lot of you here tonight, aren't there? (laughs) I understand Brother Proctor uh, one day will be a governor of one of the states in the United States. Brother Proctor is the one that just introduced me, for those of you that don't know him. And uh, he almost uh, said some nice things about an engineer, and I haven't heard many lawyers or to be lawyers say many things that uh, are complimentary about an engineer. So you want to be careful as you go into politics, uh, Scott, particularly uh, the last time I remember something good being said by an engineer by a lawyer was uh, about 20 years ago. I <laughs> Excuse me, Dean Lee, and present folks <laughs> i was uh, <clears throat> I was asked to be an expert uh, witness and uh, in a case and uh, the lawyer won his case uh, in some measure, I suppose because of the testimony that I gave, and he was so grateful to me and thanked me and As I say, that was 20 years ago, and he seemed to be so happy about it. And then I sent him the bill, and he changed his mind again. So whatever engineers can get from lawyers, they appreciate it. I understand three members of the state presidency are engineers, and uh, that makes me feel at home, too. I'm glad to be here. I really am glad to be here this evening. Uh, we've had uh, four of our five daughters who have gone to BYU. For the first two of them, I thought it was a two-year school because they they got married and didn't come back. The third one did finish here. Uh, I remember her graduation. She married before she finished and After graduation, we weren't sure which would come first, the baby or the diploma, and the (laughs) diploma beat the baby by a few weeks. I feel an anxiousness, brothers and sisters, about uh, my subject tonight because I know, as the scriptures have stated, that we are in the wind-down period of time that precedes the Second Coming of the Savior. The preparation is being hastened as never before, and the signs of this hastening are all about us. The coming months and years will bring some important happenings in fulfillment of ancient and latter-day prophecies, attesting to the times in which we now live. Each of you will have an opportunity to be part of these great experiences. Now, it's true that not all will be prophets or apostles or presidents or bishops, but the particular assignment is unimportant in the overall perspective of what is happening and what will happen. All of us are his sons and daughters, and regardless of our ecclesiastical assignment, the eternal rewards to the faithful are the same. There's no one here tonight, and I hope you'll all listen to this, there is no one here tonight whose life experience cannot be exciting and satisfying, and happy and profitable. None of us here came into mortality to fail or to be mediocre in the things that matter most. I firmly believe this truth. unless we forget, there are no greater blessings than those that can come to a successful husband and wife. I don't know when I've prayed more fervently or worried more continually about being able to communicate with any group than with you this evening. Because I feel that none of us will ever be exalted except as we increase our understanding, our dedication, and our commitment to practice the subject matter of this fireside. I've chosen to speak about prayer. Because of my desire to teach this evening, I'll probably share with you some experiences that to me and my family are considered special and sacred. I hope you'll please forgive me for this. Some of my family members have suggested there are better things to talk about than oneself and loved ones. The greatest purpose and challenge in life is to learn to know and live like the Savior. We learn to know Him as we live like Him, as we keep His commandments. Knowing Him is increased as we testify of Him. In this mortal experience, there are many Christ like things we can do, but unless we keep His commandments and testify of Him, our life will not have met its full purpose. The world has many good people who do many wonderful things but who cannot testify of the Savior and his mission. Now there are several important things we can all do that will help us in pursuit of this goal to know the Savior. We speak of selfless service to others, of daily scripture study, of daily prayer, of keeping the commandments, and so forth. The list goes on and on. The things we must do seem endless. And in our pursuit of a righteous life, we all experience trials and disappointments, and discouragements and frustrations. You name it, and somebody's had it. Never ending problems seem to be the name of the game. They come to all. None are shielded, none are exempt from problems. If you'll forgive a personal reference or two, I remember. As was mentioned, I am the oldest of four boys that were in our family. And I remember when I became 12 years of age and had been ordained a deacon and now for the first time was to pass the sacrament. And I was worried and nervous and uh, about like I feel this evening. And my mother had clean shirt on and tie and trousers pressed and all. But I had a problem in those days. I have problems nowadays, too, but I had one particular problem in those days. <laughs> I had uh, white hair, uh, different kind of white than now, but I used to have a cowlick. I don't know if any of you know what a cowlick is. It's hair that sticks up and doesn't know which way to lay down. Well, it was all right under regular circumstances for me to go around with this kind of a chicken... <laughs> feathers calic, but I didn't want it to be that way when I passed the sacrament, so Mother bought a jar of Vaseline, <laughs> and it seemed like most of it went on my head as they pulled down the unruly hair. The time came, and this is almost sacrilegious because of the sacred occasion of the sacrament, but one's feelings have to come out, and as I stood down the aisle passing uh, the emblems. I knew as I walked down the aisle everybody in sacrament meeting was watching me. I knew there was nobody else they were looking at except me. And I was afraid that my hair wouldn't stay where it was supposed to stay with that Vaseline treatment. And about halfway through the service, it happened and my hair flipped up like that. I quickly looked around, and I was sure again everybody saw it. I looked up. I remember looking up on the stand, and I looked at our bishop, and some of you may remember the name Udall presently. John H. Udall was our bishop, and he was seated on the stand with his arms in front of his rather robust front, just very comfortable. Uh, not asleep, but enjoying the sacrament service. And I looked up at Brother Udall, Bishop Udall, and I thought to myself, Gee, it must be neat to be a bishop. He doesn't have any problems at all. He doesn't know what's happened to my hair. <laughs> now that was 12 years when I was 12 years and Then I became a bishop some years later, and I found out that Bishop Udall wasn't resting all that comfortably as I thought he was. As you know, as has been said, we have five daughters. One of the things that goes on in our home is when the girls become 16, they can do two things, among others. But two things they're allowed when they become that magic age. One, if they've taken the driver's ed course, they can get a driver's license. And secondly, if someone asks them, they can have a date. (laughs) And that always hasn't worked out just the way it ought to. We had one daughter who had her first date at 16, and then there was a dry spell for months and months and months. And one day we were seated in the home, and my wife and I were talking about some things that were very important and I thought very serious, some problems that we were trying to solve. And this 16, soon-to-be 17-year-old now said to us, Dad, you don't know what problems are. Here, I'm 16, and I'm ready, but nobody else is. <laughs> and so it is that trials uh, seem to have their part in each of our lives. I thought, I honestly thought, as a bishop and stake president down in Arizona, that the Brethren, it would be uh, it probably fortunate that they didn't have anything to worry about the general authorities i meant except running the church and then i came became one and i became acquainted with the general authorities the brethren and i found that uh, they have every one of them brothers and sisters have some very serious uh, matters that challenge the very best in them and their personal lives, family, and health, and all of it, some matters that uh, I wouldn't want to change positions with them. We've all been a part of President Kimball's health experiences and problems. I remember eight years ago now, just eight years ago, this coming conference, I was called into the bishopric. And I remember after the sustaining in conference, we were invited to the room in the temple where the Brethren were to be set apart. And prior to the setting apart, they were going to give a blessing to President Kimball because he was then president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and the brethren were going to administer to him and give him a blessing uh, because he was to have open-heart surgery within a matter of a few days. And I think Dr. Nelson will remember many things about this. And as they gave him the blessing, many thoughts went through my mind because I, of course, President Kimball was raised in Arizona, and and I've... I uh, paid particular attention to him for many reasons, but I remembered as I read about him and knew of him many of the trials he had had, the very serious health problems he'd had. The fact that he uh, at one time sang in a quartet with some of the members of the 12, and I understand sang beautifully and then had cancer and had to have that uh, voice taken away from him. And I thought as I saw him seated in this chair and these brethren of the Twelve with their hands on his head, I thought to myself, why, why should a man who's been through what he's been through, he's president of the Quorum of the Twelve, he's 70, I think he was 77, why should he have to go through a heart, open heart surgery? I knew the Lord could heal him like that if he chose, and I wondered why. Well, I now understand, and I'm sure you do that the lord was preparing a man an apostle to be his prophet and he wanted a prophet and a president who would listen to him he wanted one who could receive the promptings of the spirit and would would be open to it and thus the reason for these continual trials that uh, that uh, we are all faced with faced with The purpose of the trials, as we've said, are that through these experiences we might draw closer to the Lord and to learn to depend on him for everything. That is what he wants for each of us. More than anything else, he wants us to know him. I believe there is one overriding quality embodied in a person who knows the Lord. Now, for a few moments this evening, I'd like to visit with those of you who have become discouraged in your prayers, your personal prayers, the ones you say when no one else is listening. I'd like to talk to those of you who have stopped or who do not pray as frequently or as fervently as you once did. Now, Perhaps it's because you aren't sure he's listening, or maybe you aren't sure if he's even there. Or you may feel guilty, or you may feel unworthy. But for whatever the reason, your communication isn't what it ought to be. I'd like to talk to that group of you this evening. Have you ever knelt down alone and asked him for something that is really important to you and then gotten up and found it didn't happen as you asked for it? I have. Have you ever prayed and prayed for days and days for something that's special and then found that it didn't work out? I have. In times past, on more than a few occasions, I've gotten up off my knees and wondered in despair, what's the use? He isn't even listening. Or maybe I'm not worthy. Or maybe I just don't understand the signals. A few years ago, after one such frustrating experience in prayer, I was reflecting on my experiences with my earthly father, who has been dead for some time. And I remembered that when he was alive, I could always go and talk to him about anything. And he would listen to me. Even when I did wrong, my earthly father would listen to me. Now He was not a perfect man, but he would listen. And I want you to know that I know that whenever one of Heavenly Father's children kneels and talks to him, that he listens to each one. Now This I know, if I know anything in this world, that Heavenly Father listens to every prayer from his children. I know our prayers ascend to heaven. No matter what we may have done wrong, he listens. Now, I also believe he answers us. I don't believe he ignores his children when they talk to him. The problem in our communication with him is that not all of us have learned how to listen for his answers. Or, perhaps, we're not prepared to hear him. I believe we receive his answers as we prepare ourselves to receive them. Now let me explain this. As we go through life, oft times we build a rock wall around us between us and heaven. This rock wall is built by uncorrected or unrepented of mistakes or actions on our part. For example, in our wall there may be stones of many different sizes and different shapes. There could be stones that are put there because we've been unkind to someone and we place a stone in front of us when we are unkind. Or criticism of leaders or teachers may add another stone. A lack of forgiveness may add another and another. Vulgar thoughts and actions may add some rather large stones in this wall. Dishonesty will add another, selfishness another, and so on. And as the wall builds in front of us and we cry out to the Lord in heaven and he sends his messages from heaven, they come down. But instead of being able to penetrate our heart, they hit the wall that we've built up and they bounce off and they don't penetrate. And then we say, he doesn't hear us and he doesn't answer. Sometimes this wall is very formidable. And the great challenge of life is the experience of destroying this rock wall, or, if you please, of cleansing ourselves, of purifying this inner vessel. Now let me give you some examples. I suppose we've all had someone who has done something to us that we didn't like, and it made us mad, and we can't forget it, and we don't want to be around that person. This is called un- being unforgiving. Now the Lord has had some very strong words to say to those who will not forgive another. One time I had an experience like this. I I felt I'd been taken advantage of. This is many years ago. And I, I, I did not like the person. I did not want to be around him. I would pass on another side of the street if he came. I wouldn't talk to him. And long after the issue should have been closed, it was still cankering my soul. One day my wife, who is very astute and knows when I'm not doing everything I should write, she said, You don't like so-and-so, do you? I said, No, I don't, but how could you tell? Well, it shows. In your countenance, it shows. Why don't you do something about it? She said. Well, like what? Why don't you pray about it? I said, Well, I did pray once, and I still don't like him. (laughs) No, she said, uh, Why don't you really pray about it? And then I began to think what she really meant. And so I decided that I was going to pray about a better feeling for this person until I had a better feeling for this person. That night I got on my knees and I knelt and prayed and opened my heart up to the Lord. I got up off my knees and I still didn't like him. The next morning I knelt and prayed and asked to have a feeling of goodness toward him, and I finished my prayer, and I still didn't like him. The next night I still didn't like him, and a week later I didn't like him, and a month later I didn't like him, and I've been praying every night and every morning. But I kept it up, and I kept it up, and I kept it up, and I started pleading. Not just praying, but pleading. And finally, and I can't tell you a time because it didn't happen like that, but finally, The time came when, uh, without question, reservation, I could stand before the Lord if I were asked to, and He would know that, at least in this experience, my heart was pure. There a change came over me after a period of time. Now that stone needs to be removed from any of us if it happens to be there, and I suggest that might be a way to remove it. Another stone that's so easy to creep into this wall that keeps heaven from entering us. Have you ever come home from a sacrament meeting, and priesthood meeting, or Relief Society and said, Boy, what a dumb lesson. Or, boy, oh, boy, why did the bishop do that tonight? Wasn't he thinking? Or, Boy, I wish they'd get a better teacher for us. She's a lemon. On and on. Now I believe that every time we speak evil of anyone who is a worker in the kingdom, not just the prophets, you know, we talk about speaking evil of the Lord's anointed. But I believe that anointed expands to all who are working in the kingdom. Any time we speak evil of the Lord's anointed, I believe we sow the seeds of apostasy. I believe you can't speak evil of a bishop or a counselor or a teacher without putting some kind of a stone in your path that might sometime keep uh, the messages from heaven coming in. So I would suggest that maybe we find the lifting things to say and not the degrading things and the tearing down things to say, regardless of who it is. One of the things that really is a problem for many is what goes on in our mind And many are the stones that stand in the wall between us and heaven that are put there because of vulgar thoughts and vulgar actions. Now, I'd like to give some suggestions to you for that. I think continue in the process, as we said, of praying and pleading and asking for strength. But beyond that, there's some things we can do. Our mind is a tremendous reservoir, if I can use that, Our mind has the capacity to put anything in it that we will put in it. It can take it. We can put into our mind filth, garbage, trash, vulgarity, or beauty, spiritual experiences. Our mind just seems to take it in like a sieve, and it never seems to fill up. Our mind, however, is not like our physical body. When we put something in our physical body that isn't right, that's dirty, that's trashy, that's not good for us, our body in a brief period can get rid of it. But our mind will keep these kinds of things for days and weeks and months and years and sometimes for a lifetime. And so the important thing to do, remembering that the mind has a hard time cleansing itself, the important thing to do is to be careful what you put in it. Magazines that uh, are suggestive or even more than suggestive should not be looked at. I, I, I Don't answer this, but let me say this. Because we, it becomes so commonplace with this, do you go to a show and there are some bedroom scenes or whatever displayed on the screen? Do you have the courage to get up and walk out? Or do you say, well, why not? Everything, uh, everybody talks about this now. Everybody's doing this kind of thing. Why not just stay? Well, I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, every time you look at something that would not have the approval of the Master, you're filling your mind with something that you'll have a hard time getting rid of. And as re- we review court cases in the Church, I'm talking about Church court cases, We find that if there's a proper reporting given, we find that the mind processes lead eventually to the act. And those who fill their minds with things that are filthy and ugly and do not stop it, those are the ones that step by step are led into these very terrible experiences. And so have the courage to walk away from any experience, whether it's seeing or hearing, or even speaking yourself that would fill your mind with garbage and trash, and then plead with the Lord for experiences that will put refreshing things. There are many rocks that need to be destroyed. Well, So it is with all of us. The pattern of our life determines our eligibility to receive the promptings of the Spirit. To hear the answers to our prayers, if you please. now Again, let there be no misunderstanding. He does answer our prayers. Often we aren't prepared to hear him. Now All prayers are not answered immediately, and that's where sometimes we become discouraged. Some are answered immediately, but some take longer. If you'll forgive another experience, a couple years ago I had an assignment that took me to Germany, and I had had a bout with the flu before. I left, and I wasn't sure if I ought to go or not, but I felt like I better because of what had been planned and the many who were depending on me. And so after the flight from New York to Frankfurt, I was tired and not feeling well, and I was alone, and I don't speak German, and I went to the hotel, those of you that have been in Frankfurt, the hotel there at the airport. Before going to my room, I went to the pharmacy there in that big Frankfurt airport and I got a throat spray that would uh, some way disinfect my throat. But what it was, there was a can of, that you would push the button and the, the medication would come out. And, but at the end of the spout, there was a, about a finger-length piece of plastic tubing that you would put in there and then you could push it into your throat and it would spray your throat. I went to my room and uh, uh, prepared to rest for a while, and I took this spray that was to uh, spray my throat, and as I pressed it in my mouth, some way this plastic uh, part was there, came loose, and it drove itself down my throat into my chest. And I couldn't feel it in my throat, but I knew there was a three-inch piece of plastic in my throat, and i didn't uh, know what to do i coughed i did all that i knew how to do to get rid of it i was worried because i wasn't worried that i would die i knew I, <laughs> I wasn't that near death but i knew that there were people waiting for me in various countries for the next 3 weeks where i was going and i knew that if i didn't something didn't happen right away i would end up in the hospital and they'd have to take it out surgically and so i needed an immediate answer I needed an immediate response, and I knelt at my bed, and I just told the Lord I had no place to go. I don't speak the language. I don't know a doctor. I don't know any. there are people waiting for me, please remove this. And I got up, and in two seconds it came out of my throat. You see, there are some answers to prayers that come immediately. Now there are the other times that you wonder if he's ever going to answer. Uh, about 22 years ago, we had a, our fourth daughter was born, and after the baby was born, uh, the doctor told my wife that she shouldn't have any more children. And we talked about it, and she said, well, I feel that there is another child for us. And uh, we talked to the doctor, and he said, well, no, you can't. And she said, well, I think I can. And he said, no, and he doesn't. Doctors don't know what my wife knows. She's, they, <laughs> she's motivated by other things, I guess. But anyway, uh, so we decided, of course, that we were going to have this baby. Well, a year went, and the girls wanted another baby. And a year went on, and the baby didn't come. And two years went on, and finally, One of the girls said to me, "Um, are you sure we're supposed to have another baby? My wife, Sister Peterson, has said that she knew that we could have one. And uh, they said, Mother said we were going to. Where's the baby? And I said, well, let's go ask her. (laughs) So we went and collectively, a couple of us did, and said, are you sure we're going to have a baby? And she said, yes, but she said we haven't prayed long enough. We haven't prayed hard enough. So we prayed for another year and no baby. Well, we asked her the question again, Are you sure you know what you're talking about, this baby bit? Yes. Well, we prayed and prayed and prayed. And we prayed for one and two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight years. And then one day at the table she said, Guess what? We're going to have a baby. And uh, there she is on this front row here. Prayers, you see, sometimes uh, are answered quickly, and sometimes you pray a long, long time before you get what you want. Now, as we learn how to listen to the promptings of the Spirit, as we prepare ourselves to receive them, We must also learn to obey what we feel prompted to do, and this is important. Many feel the promptings of the Spirit, but not all have the courage to obey. We've all had the experience of knowing and not doing it. I remember uh, attending a state conference not long ago, and we had a very cute example of receiving the promptings but not being obedient. After the morning session of conference, we were having dinner at the state president's home. His counselors and their wives were there, and one of the counselors was a rancher. And uh, they were had a family of eight or nine children, as I remember. and his ranch holdings, there were many square miles that uh, his work was in, in, involved in. And uh, while before we sat down to eat, his wife was kind of smiling, and I asked her, and she said she was smiling. I happened to talk that day a little bit about being obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. And she said uh, it made me remember an experience we had in our family about obeying the promptings of the Spirit. She said early in our married life, my husband would uh, one time was out on the ranch late at night and he had a breakdown. And so he knelt and prayed and asked Heavenly Father to let his wife know who was at home that he was having problems so that uh, she could come out and find him. And so, and she did. He prayed and she felt the promptings of the Spirit and she went, got in the pickup and found him broken down somewhere, some equipment broke down. Uh, she said, That got to be a kind of a thing with us. Whenever he got, over the next 20 years, whenever he got in trouble. Why, he'd pray, and I'd get the promptings, and I'd get in the car, and I'd go out and find him. And she said, uh, I was carrying our last baby, and I was about nine and a half months pregnant, and that that means you really are. And she said, I was in, I guess she was in her mid-40s. And she said, it was about 10.30 at night, and I was seated waiting for him or the baby to come, whichever came first. And she said, I got the impression your husband is in trouble. Uh, Go out and help him. And she said, I was just too big and too tired and too old and I just couldn't do it. And I said to the Lord, you'll just have to help him home yourself. (laughs) And And so she said about 1.30 in the morning, I guess it was, she was waiting for him. And about 1.30 in the morning, here he came in, and he didn't say hi, honey, or anything. He came right to her and he said, What's the matter? Didn't you get my message? And she said, Yes, but I just couldn't come out. I had the Lord do it for me. One of the great challenges of life is to live to receive the message and then to have the courage to obey it. Now maybe an additional thought on what to pray for. We're all alike. We seem to want the best for us, and sometimes the best isn't for us right then. The Lord doesn't think we're ready for it. May I suggest when you pray and you have something very special that you want that you pray for two things. Whatever the blessing is that you want, whether it's a new baby or a job or better grades or whatever, pray for that blessing. And then, secondly, and also ask the Lord for a blessing of understanding. Because if he feels for some reason that the blessing isn't appropriate for that time, then the blessing of understanding will come. And then the frustrations that oft times come because we feel prayer is not answered. Those frustrations go away in the wind. Now tonight, and in the morning, and tomorrow night, and the next day, and on and on, regardless of your circumstances, in good times or in bad, I plead with you to do the following tonight if it's possible for you to be alone will you go where you can be alone if you can't be alone do what i suggest anyway go and kneel think to whom you're praying now oftentimes sometimes we kneel and start to pray so quickly that we we don't have in mind who it is we're praying to Oft times I'll try to picture in my mind a painting of the Savior. I'm not exactly sure what Heavenly Father looks like, but uh, that gives me something to shoot toward as I kneel. And then as you think to whom you're praying, speak out loud to him, or if you wish, whisper to him, and address him as your Father. And say what you'd like to say to him don't say trite phrases and things that you've heard others say that may not have any meaning to you. But be sincere with him and talk about the things you want to talk about. Thank him for what he's done for you. Confide in him. Let him know what's going on, the turmoils that are going on in your heart. Ask him for some help. Now, for some of you who may have had some particularly difficult experiences, Maybe tonight, maybe first of all, you ought to just pray and ask him for a desire to want to. That may be all you want to ask tonight. Uh, Ask it, though. Now plead with him. Enjoy him. Tell him you love him. I don't know how many of you have prayed out loud and in that vocal prayer have told the Lord that you love him. It's a great experience. And then after you've talked to him, listen to him. And you must listen carefully or you're going to miss his answers. Uh, You might do this. Sometimes you know you may pray for a minute or two or five or fifteen, but not even listen for a second. Maybe something different would happen if after you've prayed you continue to kneel at your chair or your bed for a minute or two or five or 10 or 15. And when you get that, that kind of I-feel-good feeling, that warm feeling, you know you've got an answer. You know he's heard your prayer. You know he's there. And you know that you've finally figured out a way to open it up so that he can get through and you can feel the great experience that comes to those who feel the Spirit. Now, if your roommate doesn't pray, remember that your example tonight may be all that is necessary for him or for her to make a fresh start. My dear brothers and sisters, I testify to you that he is in his heavens. I testify to you that I know he listens to us. And I know he answers this. I know that we must be prepared to hear him. I testify to you that without prayer, we will never really know our Heavenly Father or his Son, the Savior. And I testify to you that without prayer, we cannot, we cannot return to him. For we will have closed the door, not he. Now understand that. He does not close the door. We do. I plead with those of you who are discouraged not to give up. I guess we've all had at least one experience and maybe more in our lives when we've had an unusually warm and good feeling about something spiritual. Now some of us don't have those feelings as often as others do. But those feelings, the warmth of the Spirit that comes as we learn to talk to the Lord, are available to all of us. And I plead with you not to give up. Remember the experience that's recorded a couple of times in the New Testament. This was after the Savior had been crucified. And some of the disciples, the ones who were the fishermen, had gone fishing. They had gone out on the Sea of Galilee, I guess that afternoon, in their boats with their nets. And they fished, and they kept throwing their nets over and over and over. And every time they threw their nets over, they brought them back, and they were empty. They kept throwing them over, and they were empty. And they fished all night, and morning came. And their boat was empty. They were tired. They were discouraged. Here they were the experts. That was their business, fishing had been. But by the end of that, when morning came and the night had concluded, their boats were empty and they were discouraged and they started for the shore. And as they approached the shore, they saw a man walking. They didn't recognize him, according to the scripture, it was the Savior. And as they got closer, and he saw them, and they saw him, the Savior said to them to lower their nets on this side of their boat one more time. Now they didn't argue with him. They didn't say, I've tried, or we've tried. They didn't say, I tried praying and it didn't work, or I'm discouraged, or whatever. They didn't do any of this. They listened. They had faith, and they obeyed, and they lowered their nets in the waters one more time, and this time they brought their nets out filled with fishes. May the Lord bless you to persevere in righteous purposes, my brothers and sisters. I testify to you that he lives, that he is in his heavens, and that he loves you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.